Jesus, the incarnation of the Son of God, and uh, celebrate in a, a special way that, that event so central to history and central to our faith and to our lives. We're, I'm, I'm glad everyone is here, particularly uh, for, glad for those who are uh, with us online as well. And uh, I've mentioned in several places that uh, we've been advertising on Facebook over the past week or so and uh, just offering to pray for people. And uh, we've had about 25 or so uh, folks that have responded to, to that. And uh, if, if any of you happen to be online, we're so glad that, uh, that you joined us uh, for our worship today. I'm going to uh, lead this song in, in just a moment, but uh, one of the things that's interesting about Christmas is that we often get together and we sing carols, like singing is a big part of, of Christmas. Fourth of July, not so much, you know. um, but Christmas is about singing. And, but, but what's interesting is how well we know the first verses of all these songs, <laughs> right? And then we get to the second verse and we're like, oh, I'm not so sure about what am I singing? You know, is that a real verse or did somebody make that up? Um, and so it, it, it's a little interesting. But O Holy Night really fits with the uh, sermon topic and our theme today. Uh, and it's particularly the second and the third verses. Because I'm not as familiar with them, the timing may be a little off, so bear with me, okay, uh, when we, we get to there, how the words work with the, the, the music. Uh, but uh, I think I, I, I like the thoughts, and I like the, I like the song, so we'll, uh, we'll give it a go. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night divine, oh, night, oh, night divine. Led by the light of faith serenely beaming with glowing hearts by his cradle, we stand so led by light of a star sweetly gleaming 
Here came the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger in all our trials born to be our friend he knows our need to our weakness is no stranger behold your king before him lowly bend behold your king before him lowly bend truly he taught us to love one another his law is love and his gospel is peace change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raised we let within us praise his holy name christ is the lord oh praise his name forever his power and glory proclaim his power and glory the more proclaim thank you as I say those words will come back to as we we move through this morning uh if you have a prayer card now is a uh, great time to hand those in and we'll pick those up online you can type something in in the the comments there and if you uh didn't pick up a communion cup on your way in you know, it's also a good time to to grab those and it's a good time just to turn to someone and say you're glad they're here and Wish them a Merry Christmas. <laughs> hey, Gerard. <laughs> hey, Linda.
We do have a, a few long-lost family members uh, back and uh, folks we haven't seen for a long time, and so it, it is particularly, particularly glad to have you with us on this, uh, this occasion. And if you're not here next week, the elders will be making phone calls. <coughs> not really, not really. We'll, we'll take you when we can get you. The birth of a king. There are three journeys that are taken in the story of Jesus' birth. Um, you know, it's not just now that people are you know, traveling, although it's certainly part of Christmas these days, isn't it? You know, there's traveling, Christmas trees and presents, right? And some food in there. Uh, but, but for many, many families, travel is a big part of, of Christmas, um, whether it be home for the holidays or uh, whatever, it, traveling to, to be somewhere um, with, with loved ones, or just to get away <laughs> and uh, find somewhere warm at this time of year. Uh, but it's a, it's a busy, uh, busy time of year uh, for, for travel. But it seems that it's always been the case because travel was, as I said, part of the original Christmas story. Um, and, and so it begins with uh, Joseph and Mary. They were living up in Galilee in the northern part of, of Israel. And in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Everyone went to their hometown to register. And so Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, in, uh, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. He did this because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Okay. It was reasonably late in the uh, pregnancy that they made this journey. Right? Uh, we have no idea whether there was a donkey involved. Right? <laughs> it's not in the Bible. I mean, it's shocking, right? But there's no actual mention of a donkey as they take this journey in the Bible, but uh, you know the artwork is overwhelmingly unanimous that there was a donkey involved, and that it transported uh, the very pregnant uh, Mary from Galilee down to Bethlehem, uh, a small town outside of Jerusalem. And so it took several several days for them to make this this journey, but that was. It's not how the story began, uh, because the story has begun earlier when an angel appears to Joseph, another angel appears to, to Mary, and, and tells them that they're going to be pregnant, they're going to be parents, and that God is performing a miracle within, within Mary. And, and so that's where the story began, but the actual birth, you know, so, so we're coming eight and a half months later. The actual um, birth begins with this trip 
back to home for the holidays, right? Back to Bethlehem, back to Joseph's um, hometown. I don't know how recently Joseph had lived there. It just says that he was of the lineage of David, so his family uh, line was from there. Um, but whether that meant his parents were in Bethlehem, whether it meant his grandparents, great-grandparents, I don't know, okay? But his family was the way, just the way families and genealogies worked, they were connected uh, back to, to Bethlehem. That was the first journey. We read just a little bit earlier about the second journey. This journey is perhaps unexpected. In the sense of it doesn't involve the people that we know are central to the story. Right? We know that we need a, a father, Joseph. We need a mother, Mary. We need a, a child, Jesus. Okay? We know, you know that they're in Bethlehem. So there's the villages, the people that live in Bethlehem. We're not surprised that there's Herod and people in Jerusalem because they're nearby. But onto the scene come this group of wise men, this group of magi, okay? Again, uh, things we don't really know as fact, we don't know that there were three of them, okay? We know that there were three gifts, and, uh, but we don't know how big the group was that made this particular uh, journey. Nonetheless, they come, to, they come from the east, and that we're not even told where they come from in the, in the East. Um, the, the movie Ben-Hur, uh, one of my, my favorite books and movies, um, has the three uh, magi meeting out in the middle of the desert. That's sort of how the movie opens. And they've all come from different places. And, and they find themselves at a crossroads in the desert. And then they journey on together following the star. I have no idea if that's how it worked either, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were three next-door neighbors living in a particular city to the east and that they decided together to go. We just, there's so much we don't know about them. What we do know is that they came a long way. And why did they come a long way? They came because they saw a star. They're, they're astrologers, they, they study the stars, and, and not, in, not in the way that, that we do necessarily. They're looking for meaning and significance in the stars, not just calculating their, their paths and the frequency of where they are at different times of year. But they, they're looking for meaning, and so they see this star, and they assign that particular star, comet, meteor, whatever, whatever it is, they assign that the meaning of there is a, a great king being born. Having recognized the star, they then decide that they need to go and pay homage to that king. And so they, they travel for perhaps weeks in order to arrive in Bethlehem. We don't, again, things we don't know, we don't know how close to the birth of Jesus that they arrive. A little bit later, uh, Herod is going to uh, kill 
all the male babies in the town because he doesn't want this, this rival. And, and so because he's not exactly sure which child it is, he says we're going to take a two-year range. Okay? And any male child that's sort of within that two years, uh, we're going to kill, we're going to eliminate wasn't unusual for Herod, he was that kind of guy, he was eliminating people all the time that he regarded as a threat, whether they were his family members or strangers. But that two-year window sort of says maybe the Magi arrived you know, a year after Jesus was born, you know, quite possibly. Um, and so... Uh, they come not at the same time as the shepherds, right? We know the shepherds come down from the hills the night that Jesus is born. And I know all the, all the Christmas um, nativity scenes, we have the, the wise man and the shepherds there together. Um, but the wise man made this journey of weeks or months or whatever it ended up being uh, to be there and to come and see this newborn king. Then the third journey that happens is a result of the wise, the Magi's visit. And uh, we see here, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He says, get up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. This is kind of interesting because what did Joseph know about the child that he was having? Not a whole lot, right? Not a whole lot. He knew that, that Mary was you know, pregnant. He'd been told in a dream by God that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit and that he was to keep her as his wife, and so he did that. And uh, I'm sure he and Mary had talked about this. You know, why is this happening? What does this mean? But you, eventually the child is born, excited, and then suddenly, you know, at some point, after this, the wise men, just as the, the wise men, these, these strangers from the east, these Gentiles had come and to, to recognize and honor their child. And they must have been feeling so proud, right? Feeling so special that, that these strangers had come all this distance and they'd brought with them these generous gifts that they'd given. And then the next thing they know, run for your lives. Because Herod, the king of Israel, wants to kill your child. And I wonder if Joseph knew why Herod wanted to kill his child. But he didn't stick around and go, nah, I don't, that's just a baby. No one's going to be worried about that. No, he took off and he fled to Egypt with, with Mary and the baby. And that's their, the third journey that happens. And they live in, there in Egypt until King Herod dies. Now, one of the interesting things is that when they come back, from, uh, from Egypt, we see that it says, um, Matthew 21, I don't know if this on the on the screen. Um, he got up and took the child, they hear that Herod has died, and went to the land of Israel. 
But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, who was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So Herod had had control of the whole of Israel, Herod the Great, the whole of Israel, so that's why they went to Egypt. And then when as Herod the Great has died and his son takes over, or sons, and he comes back and it seems like he was planning to just settle in Bethlehem. Right? But when he hears that Archelaus, this particular son of Herod the Great, is in charge, is ruling over that southern portion of, of Judea, then he says, no, we're going to keep going up to, um, back to Nazareth. Okay? So um, they, they were still under threat. He, Joseph didn't feel safe even when they came back, at least not in Bethlehem or Jerusalem. And so they kept on going back to, to Galilee. Three different journeys that make up a, an important part of the Christmas story. I want us to view these events through a particular lens today. And I want to do it through the lens of kingship. And so the first journey that they make from Galilee to Bethlehem, they only do out of obedience to a king. Caesar Augustus has told them that they have to do this. The the second journey that is made with the wise men, the, the magi coming to Bethlehem, is done because they're seeking a king to worship. They're not coming because a baby's been born. They're coming because a a significant king has arrived on the scene. And they want to pay homage. And uh, the the third journey that is taken is as they flee a king. And and so throughout this, this birth narrative, we see this undercurrent of conversation about kings and kingship. You see, it's not just a story about a birth, as significant as that birth is. It's a story about kingship. It's a poli- lots of political intrigue going on here. It's a, a power play as to who has the power who wants the power, who uh, maybe is losing their grip on power. And we see this not only in these journeys, but we see this in several other texts. And and so I want to uh, just go through these verses. I want to draw these to your attention. In the Gospel of Matthew, um, this is uh, verse 4, this is King Herod to the wise men. And he says to them, not to the wise men, he says this to his scholars, his biblical scholars. Uh, The wise men have arrived, they're looking for a king. And Herod says, king, I don't know anything about this, but what about a Messiah? He says, he goes to his scholars and he says, tell me, what do the prophets say? Where is a Messiah going to be born? Okay, He made the connection. Herod wasn't even a Jew. Okay, Herod was an Aramean, uh, not an Aramean, uh, an Edomian, uh, but he wasn't a, a Jew. 
And, but he knew enough to say, there's a king that's been promised out there. There's, there's a Messiah. You know, there had been people claiming to be the Messiah for like the last century. There's been a lot of activity around this. And, and so he says, okay, if there's a baby born and people are saying this is a great king, tell me, biblical scholars who know the prophets inside out, where uh, will the Messiah be born? And then uh, they respond and they say it's going to be in Bethlehem and they quote, uh, they quote the prophets and they say um, in verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Uh, shepherd is also a term for a king. Okay, Kings were regarded as, as shepherds of their um, citizens. And so they were very clear. Out of you will come not a prophet, not an inspirational leader or teacher, um, not a good man, but out of you will come a ruler. And that is what was promised, and that is what people were looking for, and that is what Herod was afraid of. Now, if we jump from Matthew over to Luke, we find here uh, that uh, in chapter 1 and, and verse 32, I believe this is the angel talking to Mary. And uh, uh, the angel says about the son that she is going to have, he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever his kingdom will never end who is Mary giving birth to a king okay she has a very clear idea about this or she should if she remembered all these all these words that were said to her um, and, and so she is expecting a king. Um, a little further down, this is in Zechariah. Uh, so um, Zechariah is married to Mary's cousin, and uh, she is also having a son. Zechariah sings this song of praise, and uh, although most of the song is about his son, John. He says this in, as part of his song. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, when we hear salvation, usually we think, we just make the switch, um, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, right? For them, when they see this, they don't focus so much on the horn of salvation. Horn is like strength, um, a strong uh, salvation uh, but what they focus on is in the house of David because that was where their promises were that there was going to be this king there was going to be this deliverer there was going to be this messiah from the house of David so anytime somebody's coming from the house of David they, their antenna go up boy messiah right and if this messiah is going to give salvation from our enemies and the hand of all who hate us that sounds like something a king a ruler a leader of the nation is going to do and so zechariah 
praises God. As he praises God for his own son, he also praises God for raising up uh, this uh, servant, this, this Messiah, leader in the house of, of David. And then back in Matthew, we, we come to, to John, Zechariah's son. John is, you know, three decades after that last verse. John is out there in the wilderness and he's preaching. He's a, a holy man of God. He is calling people to come and, and get serious about their relationship with God. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, again, sometimes I think we hear kingdom of heaven and I'm not sure what we think. Right? We mean, oh, good times have arrived. Uh, Jesus, they talk about Jesus, and they are talking about Jesus, but Jesus is, is here. But, but we don't really stop and say, oh, there's a new kingdom, a heavenly kingdom that wasn't here last year, that is here this year. That something dramatic has changed. It's not just the birth of a baby. It's that there wasn't a kingdom and now there is a kingdom. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And so as we, we think about this, this story of, of, of the birth of Jesus, it can be so uh, easy to focus on the sentimentality of it. Okay? Uh, and, and, the, and I think that's one of the things we love about Christmas, isn't it? When else do we talk about peace as much as we talk about it at Christmas? Right? When else do we talk about joy as much as we do at Christmas? When else do we talk about hope as much as we do at Christmas, maybe at Easter? But... When, when else do we, you know, just, you greet strangers, don't you? And you say, Happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and you don't know them, you don't know what's going on in their lives, but, but you just say, Hey, I just wish you all the best. And, and any other time of the year, you just walk past them and go, Hey. <clears throat> right? If anything, if anything, right? Like, bump them, get out of their way. You know, I don't know. But, but at this time of year, we're saying, hey, friend, happy Christmas. Hope you have a great time. Right? And we wish them best, and we wish them joy, and we wish them peace and, and prosperity. And so all of that sentimentality, all of that is, is great. And I think that's why we love Christmas. And, and I think part of that is because we actually do get this little taste of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Because those are all heavenly attributes. Right? God wants peace. Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. Right? That kingly title, but of peace. God wants us to experience joy. God wants us to be loved. Jesus is an expression of God's love for us, the birth of Christ. And uh, so God wants us to have hope, to experience this new kingdom. So they're all very godly, and it's quite right to uh, associate them with the birth of Jesus. But when we read the narratives in Scripture, it's interesting how much they want us to know that the baby that is being born 
is a king. This is a quote from a book I read. Kingdom for Mary, Zechariah, and John uh, is a community ruled by a king, the Messiah. Kingdom isn't just a state of affairs like justice, peace, love, holiness. Kingdom is a community made up of four features that shape the entire story of Israel. God, king, citizens, and land. The king is Jesus. The citizens are those who follow Jesus. And the land is the place where they will embody the kingdom of God. And that isn't a particular land, but wherever they embody the kingdom of God. And so what is arriving with the birth of Jesus is not just a miraculous child. It's king and a kingdom. It's a king and a kingdom. Herod wasn't worried about the kingdom. Herod had his kingdom. But he was worried about another king taking his kingdom. But we see at the end of his life, Jesus says to Pilate, the Roman sort of king, if you will, at that time, governor, ruler of that that land, he says to him, my kingdom is not of this world. But that doesn't make it any less real. He is a king, and there's no doubt about that. In fact, the story ends with Jesus on a cross. And the words above his head say, King of the Jews. And what is it that the, the Jewish religious leaders wanted the sign to say? This joker thinks he's the king of the Jews. That's what they wanted it to say. But God, using providence and the stubbornness of Pilate, the sign says, king of the Jews. And and so what started with these three journeys, focusing around the Roman king, worshipping the 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 king that had his own star and then fleeing a king and so there's all this power battle power struggle around the the start of Jesus life it it finishes with a king but he is again on the cross his journey took him to the cross and we might think oh well that Roman king that started the journey that that's got the ball rolling that that commanded that he be born in Bethlehem is also the Roman king that is nailing him to a tree And Rome has won. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And three days later, he rose from the dead because the cross and the grave and this world couldn't contain him because he is king. Not a king, just king. But who are the citizens? You see, I think so often we want the the joy. We want the love. We want the peace. We want the the hope. We we like those aspects of the story, right? 
We, we like the little chocolates we get in our Advent calendar. We like the way the tree looks. We like the gifts that we receive at this time of year. We're, there's so much about Christmas that we like and we enjoy. But the question that the Scripture gives us is, or, or tells us, is that that can only last if you also have a king as well as a baby. Because if Jesus is not our king, then we get to January and all of those things are gone. Right? The trees are taken down. The decorations are put away. The chocolates are eaten. The presents, some of them are already broken. Right? There's been an argument over dinner. The peace lasted for about five minutes. Right? And, and so we get back to life and life is messy and we go, well, Christmas next year is going to be great. But if Jesus is our king, if we say, I want to be a citizen, I want to be part of the kingdom of heaven, I recognize that when Jesus came, the kingdom of heaven came to earth and the king of heaven came to earth. And my life is lived under His rule, under His authority. And I get to experience the peace that He gives, the love that He gives, the, the relationship, the adoption that He offers us. I have hope because I know how the story ends, not with a crown of thorns on a cross, but in an empty tomb and on the throne of heaven. I have that hope because the kingdom was inaugurated on that night. And I have the opportunity, the invitation to be part of it. And so I hope today that that is part of your celebration. Not just that Christ, that Jesus is born, but that we are part of his kingdom and that he is our king. When we think about it, there are so many of our carols. We're going to close with this, not now, but close our service with this song today. But so many of our carols capture this. And, and I think we, maybe we sing it just as we read it and miss it, but so many of our carols capture it. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Well, that's good. But notice the next line. Let earth receive her king. You see, when it says, let earth receive her king, what it's really saying is let earth receive the joy. Right? Let earth receive the joy because the joy is here, but it's connected to the king. And so if you want to receive the joy, you need to receive the king. Let every heart prepare him room. We make room for Jesus in our lives. Right? It, it, we... We, uh, we need to change things. Right? We need to make adjustments in our lives. We need to say, yeah, Jesus is going to take over my life. And heaven and nature sing. Because God making things right isn't just about me and sin. It is about that. But the gospel is that the world can experience the joy and the healing um, that comes as part of the kingdom of heaven. When the kingdom of heaven rules, then the earth, heaven and nature, rejoices and sings. I'm so glad that you're here today. And I pray that, that Jesus is King 
of your life today, not just for Christmas, but for life.